HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Broadcasting live from Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn, you're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.com. I'm Sam Edwards. I'm third generation cure master from S. Wallace Edwards and Sons in Surrey, Virginia. We support the Heritage Radio Network because we believe in the cause and what they're doing. They're supporting family-raised livestock, small family farms, uh, certified humane, pasture-raised, antibiotic-free. Basically, we take the products from Heritage Foods USA and make them into uh, Serrano-style hams, prosciutto-style hams, bacon, sausage, like my grandfather did. You can find us at Surrey Farms. Dot com or virginiatraditions.com You're listening to Let's Get Real on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm Erica Wides, your host, and welcome to the first live episode of the year of Let's Get Real. So I'm feeling really good. I'm, I'm feeling good. I took the week off before Christmas, and I went to Utah, and I went to this place called Desert Cliffs, which is um, it's kind of like a hiking spa, sort of a hiking boot camp kind of spa, basically five hours a day of exercise. Big piles of vegetables for dinner. Good massage. A couple hours of spin class. Now, I know that sounds probably like punishment to most people. And if you had told me when I was a fat child reading books and playing the violin that that's what I would be doing in my 40s, I would have choked on my sugar-free cereal. But for me, it was like a week of total happiness. I was in heaven to be able to hike for three or four hours a day and then work out again and have someone else cook for me was great. I highly recommend it. In fact, we may be doing a Let's Get Real themed week at Desert Cliffs this spring. So I will keep you posted on that. We're going to do the Get Real Food Challenge Week. I'll let you know. Anyway, 
it goes without saying, of course, that at this hiking spa place, um, there was no alcohol allowed. You're not going to go there and drink, really. Now, not just because it's a spa, but also because it's Utah and that the owners are Mormon and, you know, you want to respect that. Um, but also they don't allow any caffeine either. There's no caffeine served, but I, I brought tea with me. I snuck tea bags in. I mean, I believe in detoxing, but I mean, that's just a little too extreme, giving up the tea. So I um, had a great week. Then I came back on Christmas Eve, took the red eye, came home Christmas Eve, went to my sister's, poured myself a half a glass of Prosecco and immediately got falling down drunk because of that. Now it could have been the detoxing. It could have been the five pounds I lost. Maybe I've become so waif-like that half a glass of Prosecco does me in. I don't know. But um, it was cool. It was like I had gone into rehab, but I didn't have to be in recovery. Right? Nice. So anyway, I didn't miss alcohol at all while I was out there. I mean, it's drinking is not that big a part of my life. I mean, I drink minimally to moderately. It sort of depends on the week. I can go for weeks and weeks and weeks and not drink anything. It's not an issue. But then there'll be weeks where, you know, I'll have a drink every night. It all just depends. I I never binge. I don't have, I don't have a problem. And on, even on nights when I do drink, I can't handle more than two in a night. Like two and a half, three is really pushing it for me. Two glasses of wine. I had two glasses of wine on New Year's Eve and I was asleep by 1030, so... You see what kind of drinker I am. And I can't drink cocktails at all or hard liquor really anymore at all unless they're very, very diluted mixed with club soda or tonic in the ratio of like, you know, eight to one because they're just too strong for me. And anytime there's sugar mixed in with alcohol, I get like an immediate headache. I feel sick. Can't do it. So It's too bad because anything that is in that realm of, you know, like high-end mixology, craft cocktails, I I appreciate them. I appreciate the craft and the skill, but I can't drink them. Plus, I'm not paying $14 for a cocktail. I don't care who made it. That's just out of the question. But it is a little bit sad because there are some very cool things being done out there with, you know, artisanal bitters and mixers and bar chefs going crazy and creative. And that's great. And I appreciate it. And it's keeping people employed and making money. And that's good. But I can't have more than a few sips or it's like Advil City for me. So it's too bad. But, but, there's always a but. Along with all that kind of great artisanal craft spirits, handmade bitters, mustaches, all that, there's the other end of the alcohol spectrum. It's, you know, it's just like with food. It's like when I had Mary and Nestle on and we talked about how there's sort of this split system of the organic, sustainable farmer's market, CSA, and then there's the everything else. And you know what I call the everything else, the foodiness end of it. And so there is a foodiness side of the commercial liquor world also. And the foodiness of the booziness, or the booziness of the foodiness, is basically turning us all into overgrown, overweight, drunken toddlers, Because now it's not enough that you just drink. Now there's 100 million new flavored versions of everything. All the vodka and all the liquor out there has to be flavored. Not only is it flavored, but it has to be really, really sweet. So I'm not talking about like absolute citron. I'm talking about like cupcake flavored vodka. And they're really, really sweet. And they taste more like something you would serve at a daycare center than as an adult 
beverage. And it's been a long time coming. I mean, like Absolute started it like 20 years ago, like I said, with Citron. But that was okay because it had flavoring, but it wasn't sweetened. You know, and a little Citron and soda or Absolute pepper and tonic is, you know, that was good. That was kind of cool. Those were cocktail flavorings that were classic pairings and they worked. They were flavored. They weren't sweetened. They were for adults. That's why it's called an adult beverage. Adults who have outgrown their need for unilateral sweetness. That's why we have them. That's why there's a drinking age, because it's for adults. The dessert-flavored booze phenomena phenomena, is like Joe Camel. Remember Joe Camel? He was this cartoon character that cigarette companies invented to kind of attract kids, to kind of bring them in. It's to attract a younger crowd and to get them hooked early, to kind of get them addicted on that seductive crystalline drug called sugar. Now, you remember when you were a kid, when I was a kid, the first time I tasted alcohol, different kinds of alcohol, a glass of wine I tasted or, you know, somebody's scotch as a joke, oh, have a sip. You know, you probably thought it tasted like medicine, right? Well, you know, Julie Andrews sang a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. And it also will make you want way more of it. That's sugar. I mean. And even today, medicine is sweetened and flavored way more than it was when I was little. So you can't even make that, that contrast or that comparison anymore to medicine because I was at the drugstore the other day and they had a list of all the flavors they could add to your kid's medicine to make it more palatable to them. So even when I was little and I had to swallow, you know, spoonfuls of awful stuff, it tasted like medicine. It didn't taste like grape or watermelon or strawberry the way it's flavored now. And so now by putting all of this sugar into alcohol, we're making the alcohol more palatable. So it doesn't taste like medicine anymore. Now, ironically, actually, now I love Campari, which I think actually tastes just like cough medicine. Campari, Robitussin, you can't tell them apart. Anyway, back in the day, you could tell the difference between an infantile drinker like a, you know, sorority girl or a high school kid and a mature drinker by their ability to handle their liquor, right? Handling your liquor was sort of a sign of adulthood. And liquor was an acquired taste. You kind of grew into it. Kids in college and in high school had to kind of learn how to get it down because it tasted so bad. And so they would cut it with things like Coke or, you know, other mixers and you know, if they couldn't handle the hard liquor, they would switch to things like wine coolers. Being able to handle your liquor and having acquired the taste of bourbon or scotch or whiskey or whatever was like a passage into adulthood. It was a way of discerning the adults from the children. But now foodiness booze has turned us all into those wine cooler slurping kids. I mean, you rarely even see ads anymore for just straight up Stoli or Smirnoff or anything. Everything that's promoted now with booze is foodiness flavored. And it's not just that, you know, like I was saying, the kind of gateway drug for underage kids. I mean, there are plenty of people in their 20s and 30s who are slurping down the sugary sweet cocktails too. And I'll get to that a little later in the show. But anyway, vodka is the primary one that's being flavored because it doesn't really have a distinctive flavor of its own. You're not going to see chocolate flavored gin out there because gin has its own flavor and it's a flavor I really like. 
But vodka shouldn't taste like chocolate or marshmallows or cupcakes or cotton candy or whipped cream or candy canes or chocolate, raspberry or root beer or purple or bubblegum or cake or coconut, cherries, blueberries, cookies or ice cream or any of those flavors that actually exist now in the vodka world or anything else that a six-year-old would love to shove into their tiny mouth with glee and abandon. Those are actual flavors of vodka. There's a brand, Three Olives. Snooki is their spokesperson, apparently. Why would you drink anything that Snooki endorses? But we're adults. I mean, we should know how to keep our drinking separate from our desserts. I mean, there are certain exceptions. Chocolate and port, bananas foster, brandied peaches. Those are all combinations of dessert and alcohol that are okay. Some vodka companies are sticking with fruit infusions. Ginger, tangerine coconut you know a little more sophisticated a little less infantilized but flavored food booze is foodiness booze it throws up that foodiness firewall and it makes us disappointed when we taste the real peach or the real tangerine because it doesn't taste like peach flavor and what we're all getting used to and i've talked about on the show before is that we're also used to that flavor of something that when we taste the real thing it's almost a disappointment Grape flavor doesn't taste like grapes. Grape jelly doesn't taste like a grape. Those are flavors that are made in labs from chemicals and added to the booze. It's not like they're taking, you know, a fresh peach and sticking it in the bottle of vodka. They're not putting a cupcake in the bottle of vodka and letting it infuse. It doesn't work that way. So we should eat peaches and we should drink vodka so we know what each one should taste like. We should know. But some of us can't seem to get enough of the endless gushing river of foodiness-flavored spirits that drunkenness, Inc. is throwing our way. And while the artisan craft cocktail movement, like I said, is busy doing its own thing, making its own bitters from everything and curing its own olives and distilling pine tree-scented gin and house-made rye in ancient wooden barrels salvaged from a gold rush era shipwreck in Lake Erie, serving them up in appropriate hand-blown glassware with barkeeps in suspenders and waxed mustaches. I mean, that's like the Portland, Brooklyn end of the spectrum. The TGI Fridays crowd is sucking down oversized goblets of foodiness-flavored booze versions of a Slurpee and oversized liquid cupcakes and cocktail form. So in a way, the drinks have almost become the meal On both ends of the spectrum, the drinks have become the meal and cost, too. They certainly have an equivalent number of calories, that's for sure. There's even this chain here in New York. There's a barbecue chain here in New York that they have these giant posters in the subway where they advertise their, you know, their branches, and they don't put the pictures of their food on the posters anymore. What they put are pictures of their drinks, and they're these huge oversized goblets of these frozen grape and strawberry-flavored slushy things these gigantic drinks they've got to be six seven hundred calories a piece and they put these gigantic straws in them that in the ads look like the straws are like the same diameter as like the average human mouth or the average human arm you thought I was going to say something else there didn't you and everything is sweet and sweeter and sweeter as the candification of our diet continues But now it's even easier to ingest those five or 600 extra calories a day because you can slurp it down through that straw. The straw is so big, you don't even have to pucker up 
All you have to do is inhale. And they stick that straw in your frozen mudslide Oreo cookie screw on the beach woo-woo cocktail. But these aren't cocktails, my friends. These are desserts for obese infantile alcoholics. And it's an embarrassment. I'll take my dessert to go, if you don't mind. I don't want to be there. So if you need your vodka to taste like a cupcake, then you really shouldn't be drinking it. I'm sorry, but you're not allowed into the club. You're too young. Come back when you and your taste grow up. You're going to have to show some ID, but we'll still be here. And while we're on the subject, actually, little sidebar, can we just finally jettison the cupcakes, too? I mean, really, enough already? Talk about infantilizing. Just bake a damn cake and cut it into wedges like we used to do and give me a fork. I can handle a fork. Also, I learned when I was about four. It's a part of growing up, too, just like drinking. We're going to take a very quick break. When we come back, more about booziness. Welcome back to Let's Get Real on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Erica Wides, your host. If you are a fan of this show, I highly encourage you to join me on Facebook. Just look for Let's Get Real. You can become a fan of the show. Let me know what you think. I would love to hear from you. You can also check out my website, letsgetrealshow.com, where I highly encourage you, another one, to read my vlog, which is my foodiness blog, particularly tonight's entry. I think you'll enjoy it. And remember that any Heritage Radio Network show that has ever existed now exists on iTunes also. And it's free. So you can save up all your money from those free downloads and go out and buy yourself a good bottle of vodka that's not flavored like a marshmallow. So here, let me tell you a story. I got a good story for you. Um, The week before I went away to Utah for my hiking detox spa week, I was at work and, you know, I teach at a culinary school. And at this culinary school, not only do I teach in our career program, but I also work in our special events program. And in our special events program, we have these parties that are hands-on cooking class dinner parties. And they're lots of fun for the clients. People love them. We do many corporate groups, but we also do things like birthday parties and showers and the occasional wedding even. So the week before I went away, which was the week before Christmas, um, I was working a party, and it was supposed to be a 60th, 60th birthday party for a woman. Okay, had the client's name, whatever, 20 people, hands-on, cooking class, dinner party. So the way it works is the clients come in, they have hors d'oeuvres, they have drinks for about a half an hour, then they come into the kitchen, they cook with us for about an hour, we have it all set up for them, then they sit down and they eat. So they're kind of cooking their own catered dinner, people love it. Okay, so this party was supposed to start about 6 o'clock. We're waiting, we're waiting, we're waiting. They're late, they're late, they're late. 6.30, they start to show up. Now, this is a group of all women, okay? And they are about 20 of them. They're from Long Island, very suburban. And I do need to note here that they were all lesbians. There's nothing wrong with that, but it's an important part 
of the story, I believe. Okay, so I don't need to get hate mail from anybody like I did a couple weeks ago when I talked about gay Republicans. I'm just saying. Okay. Anyway, these women ranged in age from probably about late 30s to 70. They all had suburban Long Island hair. I grew up on Long Island. I'm allowed to say that. And they were all wearing Christmas sweaters. The really tacky kind of Christmas sweaters, you know, as opposed to any other kind of Christmas sweater. They sort of looked like they worked as high school teachers, administrators, you know, people like that. Very normal, very nice, middle class kind of people. They had all met in a lesbian line dancing group. Very nice. Nice regular people. Okay, other than the fact that they were all gay, you would think they were just a bunch of, you know, middle-aged suburban women out for a friend's birthday party. Okay. Now, these were not glamorous like Portia de Rossi, Ellen DeGeneres, Katie Lang lesbians. These were more like your high school guidance counselor. So, they all came in together from Long Island, apparently in a limo, one big limo. The limo pulled up. They started to make their way into the building. They came up to the kitchen. Before they even got to the kitchen, the host, who was the birthday girl, the 60-year-old, immediately goes to the bathroom and throws up. Then she goes back to the limo where she passes out and spends the entire night. We never even saw her. We never met her. The birthday girl pukes, passes out in the limo, doesn't make it to her own party. Okay. Then several others in the group also proceed to follow her in vomiting in our restrooms and then collapse on the floor outside the restrooms and start crying and weeping and getting all maudlin and talking about the lost loves in their lives and missed opportunities. And it was like 60-year-olds in a John Hughes movie from the 80s. The rest of them, including some who were very drunk but seemed to be holding their liquor pretty well, and the few sober ones then came inside to the event where we gave them a half an hour of wine and beer and cocktails and hors d'oeuvres and then came in and cooked with us for an hour. By the time we served dinner, it had turned into a very quiet, sober affair because the ones who were sober the whole time were so embarrassed they couldn't speak and the ones who came in and were drunk and handling it had finally reached their peak of merriment and were now on that sort of slow decline toward falling asleep and passing out at the table. Now, there was also this one character, kind of pretty rough character among them, and her name was Ro. Ro kept walking around all the cooking stations, bullying everybody and trying to sabotage all the food they were making and harassing my assistant chefs. She thought that she was like a big old lesbian laugh riot, but they basically had to restrain her so that nobody would get hurt. So this proceeded. They finally calmed down. They had dinner. It was a very quiet affair. Everything in the end ultimately was fine. But when I asked one of the more sober guests what happened to the birthday girl, it turns out that these 60-something suburban sapphites thought that maybe they were back in high school and in the limo on the way in from Long Island were doing shots of chocolate vodka. Yes, shots of chocolate vodka. Middle-aged ladies in a moving vehicle. Guaranteed to induce vomiting every time. They were like drunken sorority girls 
The type who would drink Malibu rum mixed with Diet Coke. Remember the type? The type who were puking by midnight and pregnant by dawn. Except the ladies in this crowd probably wouldn't have gotten pregnant back then. Now, nobody needs to drink chocolate vodka. That's the end of the story. You know, chocolate is great. Eat a lot of it. Eat as much chocolate as you want. Vodka's great, too. Drink some of it. Maybe not as much as you want. But chocolate and vodka should never meet. There is nowhere where they intersect successfully. Now, a martini is made from gin. Maybe vodka, but really gin. A little vermouth, and that's it. There's an olive in there, too, as you know. And if we're on the subject of foodiness, speaking of those cocktail olives, did you know that that little piece of red pepper that's shoved inside of your cocktail olive isn't really an actual piece of red pepper? It's a little piece of red pepper-flavored gelatin that gets extruded in a very, very long strip in a factory and then cut into little snippets and shoved inside your cheap green olives. Yep, there's foodiness in your cocktail garnishes, too. It's cheaper to produce that pepper-flavored jello ribbon than to put real peppers in. So next time you have one, next time you're drinking a real martini, pull out the little snippet from your olive and take a close look at it. And you'll see it's actually a little ribbon of pepper-flavored jello. Thanks, food industry, for another sneaky one you pulled over on us. Okay, now, do you remember the brilliant 90s TV show from Canada called Kids in the Hall? If you're old enough, you probably do. If not, you can watch it on YouTube or on Netflix. I have a link on my vlog to a brilliant Kids in the Hall sketch that they did called Girl Drink Drunk. A Girl Drink Drunk was about a guy who's a non-drinker who goes out with his boss and gets hooked on chocolate choo-choos and strawberry squishes. He doesn't drink. So the boss says, oh, I know something you can drink that you'll really enjoy. He gets completely hooked, has like eight or nine drinks and becomes a girl drink drunk. And because he's a girl drink drunk, he pays the price for it. He becomes a drooling, unemployed mess, sleeping in parks and paying little kids to go buy him milkshakes, which he then doses from a flask. He's a girl drink drunk. His drinks contain things like ice cream and chocolate vodka before there even was chocolate vodka. So check it out. It's on the flog. It really sort of, what was it? It was prescient. It foretold the marshmallow, cupcake, coconut, chocolate, vodka phenomenon by 20 years. And while we're talking about brilliant 90s TV, of course, there was Ab Fab, absolutely fabulous, which you may or may not remember. Now, on the other end of the spectrum on Ab Fab were Patsy and Adina, who were the stars of Ab Fab, who were otherwise stunningly immature in all other aspects of their lives, but they drank stoli straight from the bottle, like good grown-up alcoholics are supposed to do. They'd never waste calories or time on cotton candy-flavored booze. Now, wouldn't you rather be Patsy and Adina than a girl drink drunk? And when was the last time you saw someone acting like a drunken sorority girl on Scotch on the Rocks or a dry martini? They don't because they learned how to handle their liquor and because they don't slurp down 10 times as much as they can handle because their cocktail tastes like cotton candy. The foodiness of it all makes people drink more of it because it's sweet 
And you don't have to cut it with anything sweet, so you can drink it straight. And that's the idea behind it. Now, when I was out in Utah last week, a friend of mine accompanied me. And, um, you know, we had to sort of say what our goals for the week were. So my friend's goal for herself was to kick her diet soda habit. It's good. Now, she is an otherwise very healthy, extremely accomplished athlete. Eats very well, takes very good care of herself, but she's totally addicted to her afternoon Diet Coke pick-me-up. So we made a deal. She was going to kick the Diet Coke for the week, and I was going to leave my BlackBerry in our room all day while we hiked. Because I'm not really addicted to anything. I realize that. Maybe sarcasm. Except my BlackBerry. And I'm proud to say we both did it. It was very easy for me. But she's kind of worried about what's going to happen this week when she has to go back to work. So she's decided she's going to switch to iced green tea that she sweetens maybe with a little bit of honey. And I said, well, you know, if you're missing like the carbonation, the fizziness, why don't you put some seltzer in your iced green tea so you get the fizz and the cold sensation. So she's going to work on that. I got the blackberry back in my pocket, but I can handle it. I can give it up any time. I don't have a problem, really. And I have another friend who has actually otherwise totally changed his eating habits, thanks to listening to me and my show. But he's a grown man, and every night he drinks raspberry svedka mixed with diet Sprite. Another one, also a very healthy eater, super fit, but has to have that same sweetness fix. For him, it's a sweetness alcohol fix. For my Diet Coke friend, it was like a sweetness fizzy fix every day. Now, the diet sweeteners, of course, are even worse for you, which I talked about on my show a few weeks ago, the candification of American food. The diet sweeteners are untested and dangerous, and they cause a rebound craving for sugar. So you think you're satisfying your sweetness urge with those, but you're actually going to have the rebound. Now, he needs weaning off of that. She needed weaning off her Diet Coke. America needs weaning off of foodiness and sweetness. We're all like a big bunch of babies, and we need to get off the nipple. The problem, of course, is that foodiness is opportunistic. It sees a chance to weasel its way into our diet, and it does. So foodiness flavoring has insinuated itself into our booze. And like I said earlier, your palate becomes so accustomed to the flavoring or the sweetness that then you can't even experience the real thing. You can't have the real food. You can't have the real drink. You know, it's not like the vodka is being infused with artisanally made handcrafted marshmallows from Brooklyn. That's not how they're making it. It's all just chemicals made in a lab straight from the test tube somewhere in New Jersey in the flavor and fragrance corridor, which is what they actually call it. So if you're going to drink, and please do, by all means, I'm not saying don't drink, at least drink like an adult. Like an adult in the early 1960s, maybe. Like martinis made from real gin and vermouth, not marshmallow vodka and Kahlua. Or maybe some, you know, Bacardi white rum with a little splash of pineapple juice. Not coconut ice cream and banana flavored rum set on fire and served in a hollowed out pineapple. Let's get real about this. Except for old school drinkers, like those from the South who drink bourbon straight, or people who like the actual taste of vodka, people want to cover up the taste of their liquor. Foodiness flavoring does it for you. And in a sweeter, more maxed out, and more artificial way than you could ever possibly imagine. 
When I was a kid learning how to drink, we would cover up the flavor by adding a little orange juice. You'd make a screwdriver. You'd add a little cranberry juice. You don't even have to do that anymore now because the oranginess is added for you. Foodiness orange flavoring. Sweeter and more artificially hyper-orangey than any orange you could ever find off a tree. So I'm sure you don't buy all this stuff because you listen to this show, so you know. But if you do, stop buying that flavored liquor. Only buy the real thing. You know, and then mix it with something real. Mix it with a little juice or a little tonic or a little lemon. Wean yourself off. Dial it back down. Turn down the sweetness volume if you can. Even mix a little Coke in. A little Coke mixed in with your drink is a lot better than a whole cupcake mixed in to your drink. And if you don't know what to do, ask a bartender. Talk to a friend. Watch a magazine. Watch a show. Read a magazine. You know, it's like the pre-prepared food that makes us helpless because we don't know how to cook. Foodiness booze makes you helpless because you can't separate out the elements from your drink. It's all being done for you like we're a whole bunch of big drunken babies. And if you can't handle the real liquor, maybe you shouldn't be drinking it after all. It is for grown-ups. If you need it to taste like cake, you can't have it. Booze shouldn't taste like cake or candy or whipped cream. Booze is for drinking. Cake is for dessert. Now, I'm out of time. So pour me a drink, get me a fork, and give me back my Blackberry. It's okay. I'm an adult. I can handle it. <laughs>